0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with y'all. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are so glad if you're a guest that you've joined us. We're gonna be in 2 Samuel chapter 22, if you want to go ahead and turn there this morning, and that's where we're gonna spend our time. There are 51 verses, so I hope you can delay your lunch plans. Just kidding. I'm gonna try and get us through all 51 of these, but... um, what we're, what we're on right now is we're into a song that has been added to the end of 2 Samuel that is a song of David. And so we're at the end of the book where there's kind of this epilogue that basically kind of all of David's life has unfolded and we've gotten to this very end and it's kind of this summary. And this song written by David, they're not really sure exactly when he wrote it, but it was after there was rest. And so God has given rest from his enemies and God has given rest from Saul. And so these were key moments in David's life. It's kind of these two big sections of David's life. And so God has given rest. And in this song, we see in Psalm 18 that really we've got the exact same psalm, except there's been a few edits to make it more of a corporate Song, And so, Psalm 18 is recorded for us as a corporate psalm, is what the many commentators believe. And so, it's been edited just a little bit in order that everyone could sing it together. So, what we've got in Psalm 22 is very specific David singing and expressing a summary of everything that he's seen God do. And so, let's pray that the Lord would... Use this to encourage our hearts, to inform us, to instruct us, that we might be like David in singing God's praises. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that through your word you would open our eyes and our ears. Lord, that you would you would quicken our heart, Lord, to sing your praises, to see you as God. Lord, that we might rightly order our life and our steps. Lord, and so we ask that this morning, Lord, you would speak to us through your word, Lord, that you would convict us in areas where we need to confess, that you would encourage us in areas where we are weary, Lord, and that you might make us passionate for the things of God. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but everywhere you go nowadays, they want you to give a review. I went to Tractor Supply and I bought some chicken food. And it's like, as soon as I get home with the chicken food, I've got an email that says, how is your chicken food? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't try it, right? (laughs) But everything wants a review. You download an app on your phone, and as soon as you open it, they're like, are you enjoying this? Five stars? Write a review. You go on Amazon to buy something, and immediately, where do you go first? To the reviews. Why are reviews so important to us? Some of y'all only go and eat at restaurants that Yelp gives a five-star review. Why is it so important to us? Because we want to know if the things that we're buying or we're spending our time on have been tested by people that know. They have put their hands on it. that have experienced it. We want to know firsthand knowledge. How is the product? Is it really worth it? Should I look somewhere else? And what we have here in this psalm is a firsthand account from David, who's walked his whole life with the Lord. First-hand account of David saying, here's who God is, and he's worth it. And so we're going to see in this song kind of these five themes that I'm going to pull out for us as David moves through this song to show us who the Lord is. And his ultimate culmination, as Granger read, is that, that the Lord is worthy of our praise. That he is worthy of Of our praise. And so we would sing praises to him based off of who he is and how he acts. Let's jump into this. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The first thing I want you to see in this is that David is very personal. Look at how many times he says, my, the Lord is my rock my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. He saved me. I called upon him and he saved me from my enemies. That this is a very personal song for David. That he has experienced the Lord in this way. And so the first point that I want you to see is that God is a rock, but he's not just this impersonal Rock. I say he's a rock because he is a rock for you and he is a rock for me. That he is not just some generic rock out there, but he is our rock personally. Now, this is one of those great churchy words and phrases that you hear like, yeah, Jesus is my rock. And then you walk out and you're like, what does that mean? Right? Like Jesus is a rock. And the kids normally ask this question like, Mommy, Daddy, what does it mean Jesus is my rock? Well, what let's let's look at this, let's explain this. Because in all of these descriptions, David is is really defining what he means by the Lord is my rock. In the area where David would flee oftentimes was this area of Engedi. And this area was known for its cliffs and caves. That it was full of caves in which you could go and hide and disappear as we saw David do many times. That whole armies were seeking him and he couldn't be found. That these caves were, were so elaborate that Saul literally came into the exact same cave that David was and didn't know that David was in there. That these caves were David's security and hiding place. They're where he would flee to. And that's what David is saying is that the Lord is my hiding place. The Lord is my safe place. The Lord is my fortress and my deliverer. That in these caves, he found safety and security. That when everything else was crumbling, the Lord was stable and steady as a rock. That he was able to be counted on. That he was his stronghold. David is talking about the Lord as his rock, because he's tested it. He's been hunted. He's been chased. He's had Saul after him. He's had the Philistines after him. He's had his own son after him. And if you remember in the dialogue with Absalom, then, then the, the wisdom came to Absalom and said, don't you know, don't go chase after David. He's hiding in the rocks and you won't ever be able to find him. That the Lord was David's hiding place, not these cliffs. That it was the Lord who David sought security and refuge in. Next we see that David then moves from the Lord being this safety and security to the Lord is a rescuer. Look at verses five through 20, the Lord is a rescuer. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his holy temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Now, just in this little section, we're going to go all the way through 20, but just in this little section, you see how emotional David is. I cannot imagine how David might have described the man flu, right? You guys know what that is. It's different from any other flu. It it's, sounds like this. The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction, they assailed me. I can imagine David coming home and being like, wife being like, how was the day? He was like, it was the worst. We were out of coffee, right? Like, you're like, man, like, I mean, this guy, how did he even get through it? Torrents of destruction assailing him, cords of shield, that's like the cords of hail of hell were entangling him, right? Like he's being sucked in. Like this is how he's describing this situation, which some of you may feel that way. You're like, he nailed it. That's where I'm at today. The world is sucking me in, and if I could just get my head above water to take a breath. And you feel like you're drowning and you're dying and that everything is pulling you under. And David goes, yeah, I've been there. He was hunted by people, chased after, bounties on his head, all of these things. And what does he do? Verse 7, he says, in my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called And look at this. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. This is one of the most encouraging parts about this whole passage is that David called in distress and God heard. He heard him. He heard him in his temple where God sits in his throne because he's holy and he's God. And yet, his child called out to him and he heard Now, this next section gets very visual as well, and I couldn't help but think of a situation in which my little sweet wife, who's five feet tall, blonde hair, always smiling, heard the cry of one of her children in distress. And some of you guys already know where I'm going. When a mama hears the cry of distress of their child, there's like several different cries, right? There's like the, eh, they'll be fine. And then there's the cry that you know Oh, no, something is wrong. Well, Southern Trace, my wife is by the pool, and the cry comes to her ear as she's sitting on the chair from my child in the slide. And it's the cry of distress. And so she walks over, and she goes up the stairs, and she grabs the 15-year-old by his ear. You're like, what? Your little wife? Yes. In the cry of distress, she moved. Why? Because it's her child. Because he needed something. Because he was in distress. And that's exactly the picture that we see here. David says, I was drowning and dying, and in my distress, I just cried out. And God heard me. And look at how he acts. Verse 8, then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Why is he angry? Because his child is in distress. And he's moved with emotion that God hears the cry and he's moved with emotion. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on the cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and he scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Man, what an incredible picture. This harkens back to when God came down on Mount Zion. There's very similar language here that God came down and he showed his power to dwell with the people. And then we get little images of the Ark of the Covenant where God would dwell with his people and and we've seen that and what the Ark does and resembles and it was God's presence dwelled there and you had these two cherub and their wings and so it says that that God rode on the cherub and the wings of the wind. You've got this picture of God's presence who had come to dwell with his people in which heaven and earth shook his movement at the breath that he spoke everything into existence at his breath he shook that very existence why because his child called to him in distress and god moved because he heard that call and look at what he does he sent from on high and he took me and he drew me out of many waters And he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into the broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delights in me. I mean, what an incredible section of scripture that David has tasted and seen. That he has experienced this from the Lord. That in his distress, he cried out and God rescued him. That our God is a rescuer. He rescued him from his enemies. He saved him and pulled him out and put him in the broad place, in the place of exposure. Why? Because he was safe. Because God rescued him. You see, God rescued him from his enemies, but God also rescued David from himself. He rescued David from himself. He rescued David when David was so mad at Nabal because of the way that he acted and he wanted to kill him. What did God do? He rescued him from himself. He sent Abigail to come and make atonement. He rescued him from himself. When David was going to fight against Israel with the Philistines, against Saul, what did God do? He rescued him from himself. That God is a rescuer from our enemies, but also from ourselves. Now, this I think is just a beautiful picture. Because each one of us needs rescued from ourselves Because the scriptures say that each one of us has this internal problem called sin that we have offended and disobeyed a holy and infinite God. And therefore, we are deserving of a holy and infinite judgment. Those are waters which are too deep for us. Those are the tangles of Sheol itself, which we all deserve because we all have sinned and are deserving of the just wrath of God. But God in his grace rescues us. He's got this great rescue plan that was unfolded from the very beginning. From Genesis, he told us that that he would send a rescue plan, and David is a specific part of that rescue plan. That through the line of David, there would come a man, the son of David, named Jesus, who would save the world from its sins. That God would rescue his people And he's done it throughout history and we see it in the life of David. But it's not just David, it's for you and for me. That if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will hear your cry of distress and rescue you. That he will be moved with compassion for you. Why? Not because you deserve it, but because he delights in you. Ephesians 4 says that he showed his great mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That God rescues us from ourselves. But maybe you're like, Jared, I, I've done that. But my marriage feels like this. My addiction feels like this. The darkness of depression feels like this. Well, guess what? This is for you too. That when God's children cry out to him, he hears. That he inclines his ear to his children. That as they call out in distress, he hears and is moved. Now, I love that this song comes at this point because we know what David's life has looked like. David did not call out to God and then God made it all peachy all the time. He didn't do that. David has been in these ups and downs, this constant dependence on the Lord. But you know what the Lord has done every time? Is he has heard his cries and he has moved. Now, one of the biggest ways in which God hears, cries, and moves is through his people. God works through his people. We are Norris Ferry Community Church, and this is a community of the people of God. And one of the biggest ways when you cry out to God is he's going to surround you with community. He's going to send you people who will help bear your burden. So that you don't have to carry it alone. So that you don't stumble and stay down. He's going to send people around you who will pick you up. And when you're not strong enough to do it on your own, they'll carry you. That's what community is about. That's what the church is for. It's a body of believers that when we cry out, God says, I'm there for you. And I'm going to do it through my people. That he rescues us. So in your marriage, in your addiction, in your depression, in whatever storm you're in, in whatever depths of struggle and distress, cry out. Cry out and look for the ways that God is going to answer that. It's probably going to be the people around you will be there to help pick you up. He rescues us. The next thing that I want us to see in this is that that God is a rewarder of those who walk in obedience. That God is a rewarder. So we see that he's a rock. We've seen that he's a rescuer. Now we're going to see that he is a rewarder. Look at this passage. It's going to go from 21 to 31. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt, and the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tumultuous or crooked or turning. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O God, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Now, I read that, and some of y'all checked out after that first section, because you're like, wait a minute, did David just say that he's righteous? Because I know about his life. Bathsheba, hello. So how in the world can David say this? How, How can David say, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness? According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. How can David say that he has kept the Lord and not departed? How can David say that all of his rules were before him and he didn't turn aside? How in the world can David say that? Well, I think there's a little interpretive help for us that comes in verse 25. It says, And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. That in the sight of the Lord, David was clean. Now this is the same question for you and I. How can a holy God who knows your sin and my sin look at me and say you're righteous and pure? You're a saint. How can he do that? Well, it's only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of Christ that we can be declared righteous in the sight of God. That we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That we have done the great exchange of giving Jesus our filthy, dirty rags. And he has clothed us in the royal, righteous robe of the saints. That's how. But I think there's something else going on here. I think David is also talking about just a general direction that in the Old Testament, we see this pretty often, that there, is a, there are two camps. And so I think David, in one sense, is saying, I have chosen the camp of God. We see this happen in Joshua. The people of Israel are about to go into the promised land. And Joshua calls the people and he says, choose today whom you will serve. Will you serve God or will you serve the other gods? Choose which path, which camp. Are you going to choose? Proverbs talks about it like this. It talks about lady wisdom and lady folly. And that there's two houses. That there's two paths. Which one are you going to go down? Which house are you going to? Which path are you on? And David says that in choosing God's path, that I have chosen to be in the house of wisdom. I have chosen to be on God's house. That in choosing that, that the Lord has rewarded that. Now, has he always stayed on that path? No. Have you and I always stayed on that path? No. But when we get off, then we go, oh yeah, back on here. That, that there's a direction of our life that the Lord rewards. That he is a rewarder of those who walk according to his righteousness. Now, look at verse 31, because I think this helps us. He says, this God, his way is perfect. That God's way, God's path, God's house, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. It's proven, tested and proven true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. That there is a, a mindset, a worldview, a way of thinking when we choose God's path, God's house. It puts us in a framework to see all things. Now, that's what the Bible does in so many different areas of life, right? Now, here's the example. That God tells us how to view money. He does. He says that there, I created money. And I'm telling you that there's a way to use it. And there's a way to not use it. And so if you'll use it according to my path, according to my plan, according to my house, it will go well with you. I will reward it. But if you don't, it's going to cause problems. There's a way in which we should view marriage. God created marriage. And so when we view marriage according to God's plans, it's proven and true. You will be blessed by following it. There's a way according to the world. Work. God created work. Adam and Eve, he gave jobs in the garden. They were working. The way that you view work, if you view it according to God's plans, it will go well with you. If you begin to view it as your identity, then it won't. It will cause problems. Children. God has given children to individuals and families. And when we view those children in the mindset and in the ways of God, in the word of God, it will go well with us. But when we don't, they become idols, become strife, division. That God is a rewarder of those who walk according to his ways, that his word is true and it has been proven. Proven. So let me just encourage you and challenge you that the world will throw everything at you. Just like Satan has done from the beginning, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they will seek to deceive you, to distrust God's ways. That consequences aren't real. If you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. We didn't die. That's Satan's great deception is that there's no consequences. But yet, what did happen to Adam and Eve? They spiritually died that day. They were separated from God. The great lie of Satan in this world is that you can live apart from God's ways without consequences. But the great encouragement from this psalm and from David's life where he says, I've tested it and it's proven true is that if you will walk according to God's ways, he will reward you. It's true. Take it to the bank. It's proven. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Live your life according to that. He is a rewarder of those who do. Fourth, here's what we see. We see that God supplies the resources. I'm gonna fly through these next two. Look at verse 32. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my ways blameless. He made my feet like the feet of the deer. Mark that. He made his feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war. Mark that. He trained him for war so that he equipped him so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Who did it? God gave David. He equipped him with the shield of salvation. And your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. Who did that? God did. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them and thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs on me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them as fine as dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me As the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Did you see that the Lord supplied everything? He equipped him with all of the resources that he needed. Everything God calls you to do, he'll equip you for. Charles Spurgeon once said, if God calls a man to preach... He gives him abilities, just like if he calls an animal to fly, he gives it wings. That whatever God has called you to, he will equip you for. Now you go, well, I don't know about that. I feel like God wants me to share the gospel with my coworkers, and I have no idea what to do. Guess what? He'll equip you. Now, that doesn't mean that you just sit back and do nothing. David still had to do the things that God equipped him for. There was still work for David to do, but the supplies for that work, the resources to accomplish everything that God called him to, were supplied by God himself. We need to recognize that God is the one who supplies all the strength, all the wisdom, all the favor. That it is God who supplies it. The New Testament says it like this. The disciples were with Jesus, and Jesus was telling them that he was leaving. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, you're the one who does everything. Demons come up and, like, you're the one who does that. We get hungry and you break bread and make it feed everybody. Like, storms come up and we're about to die and you calm them. Like, Jesus, you're doing everything. What are we going to do when you're gone? He says, Don't worry. I'm sending a helper, one of like essence, same kind, to help you, that you will have the very power of God dwell in you that you will be equipped for whatever God calls you to. See, that's the book of Acts. The book of Acts unfolds, and it's, it's stay in this place until the power of God comes upon you, that the Holy Spirit empowers you for the things which God has called you to. Please hear this, that David has tested and tried this, and he says, you can't do it on your own strength. But you can. You can do whatever it is. With the Lord's strength. He says, I can leap over walls. I can go against troops. I can do anything because the Lord has equipped me. The Lord is the supplier of all the resources, and He's the supplier for you and me because of the Holy Spirit. That God's power dwells in us. The last point that I want you to see in this is that that David then says in this culmination, he returns back to the very first premise. The premise from which all of these others can flow out of. But he returns to the very first premise and he says this, verse 47, The Lord lives. The Lord lives. If the Lord is not alive, then none of this other stuff matters. But this harkens back to when David first went up to his brothers, and the Philistines are there, and this man Goliath is yelling out to everybody, and and all of Israel is shaking, and they're scared. Because they're like, look at that guy. And David said, the Lord lives. Why are you scared of him? The Lord lives. What in the world are you afraid of? Our God is alive. If he is alive, then there's nothing in this world which he can't handle. He's alive. And he hears your cries. And he rewards those who follow after him. And he resources you for whatever he's called you to. That he is alive. And out of this, that the Lord lives. David then launches into this praise. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. Who brought me out from my enemies and exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this... I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forevermore. That you and I are in the line of the offspring of David by faith. We are children of God. And there's blessing and there is honor and there is a God who lives, who inclines his ear to your call. Let me end with this. This was David's song. David had experienced it and known it, and the people around him could look at his life and say, I know it's true. With the people around you, can they look at your life and say, wow, I know that their God is a rock. I know that their God is a rescuer. I know that their God is a rewarder. I know that their God has resourced them. And I know that their God is alive. When people look at your life, do they see you singing that same praise? Do they recognize that your God is alive? That's how we ought to live. This is a song which we ought to sing in every area of our life. Let's be a people who does that. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you use men and women like David, people of faith who are not perfect, but who have chosen to live according to your ways. God, and you use them. You sustain them, you reward them, Lord, so we ask that that you would inspire us this morning to be those people, to live that out, that we would sing your praise because you are our rock and our rescuer and our redeemer.